0: evening, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshita, and I'm very, very proud this evening to have Miss Elsa Enriquez on the program, where she and I, we're going to talk about ways that we could cook and do things more safely in the kitchen. So welcome to the show, Elsa.
1: Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, you know, this is one that's been on our menu for many, many months now, and I'm really looking forward to this because I understand that you're a really good cook, so this is going (laughs) to be a good one. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Yeah. So first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, Elsa. Some of the people may not know you, and I think one of the things that's helpful as we talk about cooking, it's helpful to understand how much – can a person see? Because I think a person who has some vision might use different tools as compared to a person like me who's totally blind. So tell us about yourself and and your level of vision that you have.
1: Well, I'm legally blind since birth. I have Libre's congenital amaurosis and the vision I have is about 2800. So it's Some I'm grateful for, but not so much that I can really rely on my vision for cooking, actually. But I do enjoy cooking and enjoy using my other senses as well. You know, my sense of smell, my sense of taste and touch and hearing to help me um, so that I can make something that I enjoy eating.
0: You know, and that is something that I learned myself, too. I used to never think that I would use my hearing to cook. But as a person who's totally blind, I rely on hearing quite a bit as I'm cooking, To, For example, if I'm heating up a skillet, and what I do is I'll, I'll heat up that skillet on medium to high heat, and then what I'll do is I'll put a few diced onions on there, and just from the sound, I have an idea. Is that really just warm, or is it sizzling hot? And So hearing's a big part of it, isn't it?
1: Yes, I agree, and sometimes it can be tricky because my mom loves to be in the kitchen washing dishes as I'm cooking, (laughs) and I say, Mom, we can't be in the kitchen together because you're making too much noise, so please get out. (laughs) (laughs) I need my ears.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I'm certain she's happy that you're in the kitchen there doing that kind of cooking for her, too, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: she just goes, okay, okay.
0: (laughs) Now, when you were a, a child, was your vision at a much different level? I know that when I was a child, I had, well, I had perfect vision all the way up until about 40. So I learned to cook relying on vision. And I wanted to know, how was it with you when you had been born with Libres? Uh What kind of vision did you have when you were younger learning to cook?
1: You know what? Uh, that's a very good question. And actually, I would have loved being Hispanic Um, Our culture, we are taught, you know, at a very early age because it's helpful for mothers to have their daughters, um, especially when there's gatherings, um, assist with the cooking or prepping of food. And actually, my vision as a child was about 2,400, so it was still very limited, very reduced. And um, my mom had a lot of struggle To allow me to be in the kitchen with her she was very fearful that I would get hurt and uh, if things were not necessarily done her way then maybe they weren't done right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it it took her a little bit of time to cope with that and um, you know I understand that as a mother she just wanted things to um, be safer for me but for me it was really heartbreaking because I really wanted to prep my own food. I've never been a big fan of canned, microwavables, um, instant meals. I, oh, I don't care yes. much for that. And I'm used to the home-cooked meals because we don't dine out much either. So um, it's something that I struggle with, struggled with because sometimes when we do dine, I say, yeah, these are enchiladas, but they don't quite taste like the <laughs> traditional enchiladas that we have. So oh. I can be a little picky. <laughs> but um, it, it's um, a process that we had to go through, both my mom and I. And fortunately enough, as um, the years went by, she realized that I was capable of preparing a meal without having any problem. And yes, sometimes there are accidents. And if someone's sighted can get a, you know, a small burn or a small cut, then we can too, but it's part of life.
0: Yes, that's so true. You know, because I know a lot of people would think, you know, you're going to cut your finger, you're going to get burned, but the things also happen to people who have perfect vision, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. And we still need to eat, and, you know, there isn't always someone there to prep food, and I don't like to eat, like I said, all these other um, pre-made meals that I just I don't enjoy. I respect those who do, but for me, it's not
0: my preference. <laughs> Well, that's probably why you're in such good health, you know. And, you know, it it sounds like, does your mom have normal vision? Yes, yes.
1: Everyone in my family does except for myself.
0: Oh. So when you were going to elementary school, did they have a teacher for the visually impaired or did you ever take home economics in middle school where somebody actually understood that you had a vision problem, they sort of taught you what to do? Or did you pretty much learn this on your own?
1: No, I did have a uh, teacher for the visually impaired throughout my elementary, middle school, and high school years. And um, I love her. She and I still keep in touch and are great friends.
0: Wow, Um, that's great.
1: I took some classes at the Braille Institute as a child. And, of course, we're introduced to baking and cutting and um, prepping certain meals. But I wanted to go beyond that because often what was done was the responsibility of prepping a meal was shared between several people. And for me, that was a big no-no because I thought, okay, so I know how to dice the tomato or slice the tomato for, let's say, a sandwich, but I want to know how to spread the mayonnaise on the sandwich with a knife safely as well. You know, I wanted to do from A to Z. And so it took a little more of saying, you know, um, I understand that this is a way that you teach, but can we try this? And fortunately enough, they were open to it. And I later um, became kind of like the teacher's assistant who the teacher was sighted, and those students who had less vision than I ended up being passed on to me because the teacher and the students felt that the student could relate more to me and feel more comfortable with me saying, well, if she's visually impaired, then the technique she's using is more likely to help me than the technique of someone who's sighted.
0: Yes, I could understand that. You know, and then the first thing about preparing a meal is actually having the ingredients and going shopping. I know for myself, when I lost all of my vision, you know, it was so interesting. I I, I would never go grocery shopping. And I probably haven't been in a grocery store for maybe 20 years before I I began to have these visual problems. But I then decided, you know, I need to learn how to do these things. And I tried to go grocery shopping. I wanted to be independent. I had a little bit of vision, but I couldn't read any of the labels and things. And I just failed. I could not find the things that I wanted other than You know, iceberg lettuce, a tomato that I could sort of feel, but other things I couldn't. So tell of our listeners, how do you go shopping? How do you get the ingredients that you need? And what are some of the most effective tricks and tips that you could share with us?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I have a couple of ways. I mean, one can be with a loved one that you feel comfortable with asking who might have some time to um, be driving you to the store and assisting you with the shopping. But more often than not, I actually prefer to um, either take public transportation, walk to, depending on where the grocery is, um, grocery store, walk to or take the door-to-door service um, and have customer service find someone who works at the store and assist me with shopping. They then grab a basket, depending on whether I have just a few items on my list or a shopping cart. And um, I love to um, have options. I have learned that it's helpful. Um, There could be a grocery list on your phone if you have a smartphone Um, under notes. You could just jot down a couple of notes and have that ready for you. And you can also show it to the person who is so that they can see it as well. Um, Sometimes there could be a little bit of a struggle with the language um, if there is a language barrier where the person might only speak Spanish. But then, again, since I'm fluent in both English and Spanish, um, I've been fortunate with that. Um, Another very, very helpful thing that I love for myself but is not necessarily helpful for the person who's assisting is writing a list in Braille. And the reason I like writing lists in Braille when someone knows how to use Braille is because then you can reuse that list over and over rather than having to erase some notes and then jot them down again. Or even if you print um, a list as well, if you type it on your computer and then print out a copy, um, that's another good way of having the person who's assisting you read the list and you can carry a little pen or pencil and then they can go and you know, check whatever off your list.
0: That is great now. when you do ask a clerk to assist you at the market, do you walk up and down the aisles with a clerk so you could perhaps feel uh you know the the cucumber or the tomato or whatever it is that you're gonna buy? Do you feel it or are you waiting for them in the front of the store?
1: Oh, that's another good question, and actually that reminds me that there's another option of shopping for groceries. Some people I know have access to shopping online, um, and I respect that, but I absolutely would not do that. I love and wouldn't have it any other way. I love to be with the person that's assisting me because I want to know about food labels for health, to know how much sugar, how much saturated fat, how much cholesterol, how much sodium, um, I want to know the prices to compare different prices um, so that I can get better deal for my money.
0: Yeah.
1: I want to check the quality of the produce um, and make sure that everything is fresh. And just yesterday or the day before, I was um, talking to my mom and I said, Mom, you brought some peaches? And she said, yeah, I brought a couple from the store. And I said, I could touch it. It was still in the bag in the the produce drawer in the refrigerator. And I said, "Um, one of them feels like it's um, not good. I don't know if someone pinched it or what, but it doesn't feel good. And she's like, oh, yes, I didn't notice it until we got here. And I'm like, how could you not notice it? Oh, I must have not paid attention. And I'm like, how come you're not paying attention? It's your money. You're supposed to scan every little thing, whether it's with your hand or with your eyes, but you're supposed to feel it and make sure that what you're bringing home is good quality. Otherwise, you're throwing away your money.
0: Isn't that something that the legally blind we often can see better than those who have perfect vision?
1: <laughs> I agree. I agree. I'm very very particular and uh I learned that, you know, there's certain things to watch out for. Um obviously, you want your fruit and veggies to be a little more firm if you want them to last longer. Um and you're not going to be eating them or cooking them immediately. Um you don't want them to be, um, dented or, um, you know, like have like bruises, scratches. Yeah. And, um, people were just laughing when they heard me tell that to one of the gentlemen that was assisting me and I was looking for peppers. I said, it needs to be firm, no bumps or lumps or bruises. And so, of course, they made a joke out of it. <laughs> well, Okay, moving on. We're going now to something else completely different. Okay, we're <laughs> done with the we're done with the peppers.
0: <laughs>
2: oh,
1: that's
0: funny. You yes. know, now one of the things is that when you do uh, bring your groceries home, you know, a lot of people don't think about this, but organization of where you put those items is so important. And I also want to ask you how do you identify what's inside the cans or in the boxes, for example? Because I have made the mistake of buying a variety of different types of Campbell's soup. And if you buy Campbell's soup, you could fill the can. It has a lift up top so you don't need a can opener. The cans, they're a particular size and there's ridges. So I could identify Campbell's soup pretty easily by the can. But I have no idea. Is it tomato or chicken noodle or vegetable? How do you organize and how do you identify your food items?
1: Well, I will tell you based on what I have learned, um, although, again, I hardly buy canned food. um, But when my mom does buy this and I happen to be using some of the ingredients that she has available, um, the way I like to sort them um, is Sometimes writing the information on a three-by-five card in Braille and then doing a little hole punch on one of the corners or two, the top um, two corners. And then what you could do is you stick a rubber band and you do like a little knot. And then that rubber band, you wrap it around your can. And that way you go in there and you can feel what label is on that can. And that's awesome because then... You grab that and you use it as if it were your grocery list, put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in your drawer until you're ready to go back to the grocery store and do your grocery shopping. But for someone who might have some vision, they could do the exact same thing, but with a piece of paper, something you know, kind of sturdy, and you can use a big marker to write um, bold letters and have contrast. So that you can benefit from being able to read whatever label you have placed with a rubber band on each of these um, on each of these items.
0: Those are some great ideas, and I guess you could use that same thing. Let's say that you did buy a, a half gallon of milk, and you're worried about the expiration date. You could use a very thick Markzallot marker and put a, a three by five card on there and write the date that you bought it so you'll know if if it's getting old or not. If you don't use your sense of smell but you just wanna try to use it up within one week, you could see that.
1: Yes, and yeah, that's true. The sense of smell would be a good one. You know, if it smells pretty pretty stinky, then yes, your milk has <laughs> probably gone bad. <laughs> um, and for those types of um, ingredients or things to have at home, I usually don't like to buy, unless the expiration date um, is like a month away, I usually don't like to buy large containers. If I know that I'm not going to be finishing it um, before the expiration date, it's best to just buy smaller containers, but that might also mean that I have to go shopping more often, which for me, it's totally fine.
0: Now, do you know any of your friends or have you yourself, you mentioned the smartphone, anybody using the iPhone or Android phone, and they use some of these applications that will read the barcodes or even read the print that's on the food item?
1: I have heard from a gentleman who teaches technology who has um, been on your show before. Oh, um, my God, I'm trying to remember. Julian. Julian Vargas is a yes. big fan of the iPhone and using it a lot for um, scanning certain things and reading certain things um, in terms of shopping.
0: Yes, he tells but me I that. I myself you know, have not. It, okay. Yeah, I I have not used that technology yet either. Even though I do have an iPhone, I just have not purchased that technology, and I've used some of these, you know, simpler things. But, you know, with that, we could identify the food items that we have in the house. And what about in terms of equipment? What kind of special equipment or modifications to equipment have you found to be very, very helpful?
1: I really like contrast, and that's great with um, cutting boards, to have a cutting board that has both a dark side to it and a light side to it. I prefer for them to be plastic. I think it's healthier, and, of course, every so often to replace them um, because when it's wooden, then, you know, the juice from your meats and whatnot stays there, and it could create, um, even veggies and fruits, it could create, bacteria that can be harmful to your health. So I prefer for them to be plastic. Um, and the same goes for measuring cups, dark set, light set, really helpful because the dark set will help you measure milk or yogurt or any light colored um, ingredients, onions. Um, and the the light ones, that was for the dark, um, the light ones, of course, then you can measure, you know, beans or um, bell peppers, anything that you can think of, just to create contrast for those who might have some vision, which can be helpful. Um, I really, really like the nicer dicer. It's a device used to dice a lots of uh, lots of fruits and vegetables, oh. and it can make it a lot easier for people because you don't. I mean, you still have to cut fruit and vegetables to a certain extent, but then it dices the rest for you. And it saves you a lot of time, and there's a lot less chances of you getting hurt with a knife when you're trying to dice something so fine, like a piece of garlic.
0: I, you know, I've never heard of this. Now, where is this an electronic device that you plug well, in, no, or it's
1: manual? Um, oh my goodness, how could I describe it? Imagine um, a rectangular piece, and on the center, you just have this kind of um, this circle with like a grid of blades, you know, like a checkered um, grid of blades. And then you have another one, um, same length, that goes below it. And it has um, the circle, but it's sticking up, where when you press down, like if it was a machine to make tortillas, um, that uh, it would, you know, come through those blades, and that's how it gets diced. But it also has a circular um, little plastic, see-through container that attaches to it so your fruits and vegetables are not going all over the place. They're staying in that little container that also provides a lid to it. So when you're dicing, it's all staying above the dicer inside the cup. And once you're done dicing, you flip it so that the cup is right side up. You twist a little bit and the cup comes right off very easily and then you put your lid on it, and you can refrigerate it or take with you if you're packing a snack.
0: Gosh, that is great. And uh, where where is that available? Did you buy that through a mail-order catalog or Braille Institute? Um, or
1: I know that um, Braille Institute might know where to find it. Um, definitely your rehab counselor. If you have a rehab counselor, they would be able to help you. Um, I believe it's somewhere around $40 for one, but I do do think it's so worth it. Um, again, it comes with two different blades, uh, two different cups, and their their lids. Uh, one is a little um, bigger than the other in terms of depth. And um, I'm not sure, but I believe that you can go to nicerdicer.com and uh, buy them there. Don't worry on that. But definitely Rehab and Braille Institute would be able to guide you to uh, the right direction.
0: I'm going to look into that. I actually use something that is called the magic bullet that I see on late night TV. And it is something that it works very well. If you want to dice and you want to blend and you want to chop things, even grating cheeses and things like that, it works pretty well. I don't remember how much it was, so I think it was $49. But it, it does everything that it shows that it can on television, and it does save some time. Now, um, Elsa, you know, one of the things that I have I have heard people with low vision talk about is the fact that they often will cook almost everything that they make in the microwave oven, mm-hmm. and uh, what recommendations do you have on the microwave oven, because I know that many of the new microwave ovens, there's no buttons, it's just a piece of glass, and if you can't see where those numbers are, you're, you're going to be in trouble. You won't know which buttons to press or how many minutes you've set it for and so on. Uh, what recommendations do you have to make it easier to use the microwave if you use the microwave at all?
1: Um, I like to use the microwave. I do. That's kind of where I actually started <laughs> as a child. That was what my parents felt a little more comfortable with at first, and uh, there's three different options. There's obviously the really pricey option, which is a talking microwave, but not everyone uh, wants to pay that much money or can. Um, There is the microwave that you mentioned that just feels like a little flat screen, which is a nightmare if you don't label it. So the key thing here would be to label it, and there are a couple of ways that it could be labeled. For someone who does not read Braille... um, probably do to use raised dots, and you can use it um, according to each and every personal preference. You can label one through nine and zero, and then the start button, or you can label the ones that you use more often, which perhaps would be, you know, one minute, three minutes, five minutes, zero for the second, and then the on and off button.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but myself, I do uh, read and write Braille, so I have my microwave brailled, and I have it um, one through zero, and then um, I have the start and and stop button labeled in Braille, where I actually wrote the words. Um, the vent is also um, brailled. The light below the microwave is also um, uh, that button is also brailled. And I'm trying to think of the other one. What is it? Uh, vent light off and on. Um, gosh, I know that there's another one, but I can't recall right now um, what it is. But those those are um, some good options that I know I have used and definitely work. You just have to be very careful when cleaning the microwave that you don't use cleaning products or scrub really um, rough because then they can come off and you'd have to be labeling it more often than not. There are the other microwaves that have more of a knob that you turn as a clockwise... um,
0: Oh, yes, I know those. And
1: they're a little more old school, but they still exist. I actually used one of those until a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So it's totally valid if anyone has one of those. and, again, I think that raised dots is very, very helpful. And then at the top where the arrow would be, sometimes it's already marked with, like, a little raised line. Or you can do the same, do a little bit of a raised dot or a raised line. And I know that these are products that you can find at the Braille Institute um, to label your your microwave raised bumps as well. You don't have to buy that little glue that then, you know, um, rises and and you can feel it you can buy different size and also different shapes and different texture um for different labeling
0: oh i didn't know that Uh uh-huh
1: yeah yeah there's velcro there's uh um several different types so i definitely recommend to look into that and for that again i would do maybe the even numbers or maybe the odd numbers, and you know that if the arrow lands in between, well, you're either in the even or in the odd, depending on what you chose. And, of course, very important, the clear and the on-off button. That's the other button I was
0: missing, clear. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, that is important one. (laughs) You know what's so interesting, though? These recommendations that you're making are so important, and they're so helpful, but it also is so simple. You know, these are not difficult things that we would have to do at home. You know, we could do that at at any moment that we wanted to if we just have the equipment or the tools like these stickers and things we need, right?
1: Right, and they're very cost-effective. For the most part, all of these things are very,
0: very inexpensive. Now, you know, when I started cooking, and this is when I was partially sighted, and I said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try to make breakfast for the family. And I had low vision and we had these stainless steel frying pans, so I said I'm going to coat it with Pam, the the aerosol lubricant. And as it was starting to cook, it was really something though. As the eggs were cooking, I really couldn't see the egg cuz White and silver were somewhat similar, and I couldn't see the edge of the egg. It was so frustrating for me. And so the next time, I then used the cast iron skillet and used the contrast, like you said. And mm-hmm. I would get very close to it to try to see, is it, is it time for it to be turned over? But what I later learned, the easiest thing for me to fry eggs is to actually preheat the pan I preheat it on high heat for one minute. I have a talking watch. And after one minute, I know that it's actually preheated to the level that I want. I then crack the egg on there. I hear the sound it goes, and it's starting to cook. I leave it on there for another minute. And at that particular point in time, it's time for it to be turned over. So I use uh, my talking watch timer all the time. And I was wondering, do you use any sort of timer or how do you judge when your scrambled eggs are ready to be turned or a meat piece of steak is is ready to be flipped over? How do, how do you judge those things?
1: Um, I do like to use my uh, talking watch. It's on my wrist or in my pocket. And uh, depending on what I'm cooking, I'm constantly checking it but i also am very much about hands on and have um learned to be uh some people would say brave <laughs> and you know poke at the food even though it's in the skillet in the pot or pan of course if it's soup it's, and there's broth forget it i know better <laughs> i'm not going to stick my finger to do fish for you know or dig for a piece of meat to see how it's been cooking or a piece of vegetable what i do instead I grab a slotted spoon and then I lift whatever I'm trying to get out of the pot and, you know, um, feel the texture. And depending on how it feels, then, you know, I put it back in or I take it out or just leave it in but turn off the heat and know that it's done. But I definitely do like to use my talking watch.
0: Oh. And have you invested in one of those digital thermometers that if you're making a roast, or you're barbecuing outside that you could stick the probe, and it will tell you if the meat is at 120 degrees or 140 degrees. Have you had any experience with any of those? Because I have seen those at the Braille Institute store.
1: Wow, no, and that would be pretty neat to... um definitely explore it, but I have not my dad is the one that likes the barbecuing and I leave it all to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's a> <laughs> I'm more on like the stove. I, I I tend to use the stove. I really don't use um the the grill outside for barbecuing or the oven much either. Um but again, if that were the case then it would be important to also label the oven. And great, great, great feedback or tip for that is um, your um, gas company can come to your home for the most part. Uh, From what I understand, your gas company can come to your home and help you label the stove because they know it's important for safety reasons, you know.
0: Is that right? I didn't know that. So you could call the gas company and they'll come and do that for you for free?
1: I've been told. I've never tried it, but I've been told that you can and some people have, yes.
0: Wow, that's wonderful, because I know that if your pilot light goes out on your stove, they'll come out and they'll light that up there for free, so it's really good to hear.
1: Now, they so, probably won't use the things that I mentioned, you know, the raised dots and whatnot. They might maybe, I don't know if it's, I, I should say, I don't know what tool they might use, but make like a little, I, I would say scratch, you know, kind of here mm-hmm. and there to, um, to show you where, um 200, 300, 400 degrees is that, um, or the, the little um, paint that, you know, you can add to, and then it'll be raised, and it'll become tactile.
0: Ah, that's great. So you've told us how to go ahead and go shopping, how to organize things, all your foods in the house, and how to modify some of the tools that we use for cooking. So. Tell us now, what are some of your favorite things that you like to cook on on your stove there, whether it's for breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Do you have any favorites that you can kind of give us an idea of how you prepare those uh, particular dishes?
1: Yeah, I have a few. I just wanted to um, mention real quick, since you were talking about flipping the um, fried egg, I also really, really like and appreciate the double spatulas. I think that they're a lot more practical and safe and you don't run the risk of having to go find your egg or meat or any ingredient on the floor who knows where (laughs) oh wow
0: (laughs) now you know what you're talking about i have never even heard of a double spatula so it's it's two of them together and you could kind of clamp them together and make sure you don't lose your eggs
1: some you can um at the the handle on the edge, you can just kind of insert the little tip of one into that little slot. I don't really like those because they can easily snap off and you're still in trouble if you trust it and oh. are not used to using it. Um, picture, you know, the the tool that you used for grabbing your, your salad, um, your prongs to grab your salad or meat that are already connected at that side and even have this little... Um, device where you can push it forward and it keeps it locked up or you push it towards the end of the handle and it opens it up allowing you to use it as a double spatula.
0: Oh wow that's great. I need one of those. That would be so helpful because there's been times that I would use a spatula and uh-huh. then I would actually use a big spoon on uh-huh. the other hand trying to hold it and you know it's it's just right. not easy to do you know that way. Yes, so.
1: it can be tricky. I've done that too, but I really <laughs> really like the double spatula a lot more. It's a, a lot more easy to use and safer.
0: Great. Well, let's hear some of your favorite recipes that you could share with us because I know we have Tom from Vermont who is just dying to learn how to cook something for his wife's uh, midnight snack for her birthday tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh boy. Well, I am Hispanic, and most of the food I do eat is, um, or at least uh, at home, is Mexican food. Um, my goodness, what could I
0: share with you that we? How much time do we have? Oh, we. I <laughs> will
1: tell me what what kind of yeah. recipe I might share.
0: We have about ten minutes, and then we'll open up for questions for the final ten minutes.
1: Okay, how about this one, chilaquiles? It's very quick, simple, and I really like it. Chilaquiles consists of fried up tortillas. Don't worry about doing that. You can buy them at a meat market. Um, At least I'm very fortunate that I can find them at my local meat market or commonly called in Spanish carnicería. And uh, they have it in a bag where the tortillas have already been fried up and they're they're cut up. It's basically, it feels like you're buying a bag of tortilla chips, but it's not tortilla chips. It's fried tortillas. And you bring them home. You bring, let's say, uh, for two people, a pound of tomatillos, one jalapeno pepper, um, a small onion, and uh, two small garlic cloves. So you're going to wash your veggies. Um, you're going to, of course, remove the um, layer from the tomatillos and wash them. And you're going to cut them up. Don't even worry about cutting it up too small because it's going in the blender. You put it in the blender. You add just a tiny splash of water to help it blend with salt to your preference. and Or um, the chicken-flavored seasoning. You also need a a little bit of that. But you add a little bit of salt to your blender, and you blend it all up until it's completely blended. What you do then is you grab a skillet, hopefully one that's um, pretty wide and deep, so you have plenty of comfort moving your food. That's one of the other things I really appreciate. I do not like to cook in small skillets and feel like if I stir, everything's going to be coming out onto the stove or onto the floor. Um, So you put your heat on high, like you mentioned, after you have set the skillet on the stove so that it's safer and you're not burning yourself trying to find where you're going to place the skillet. So first you put the skillet on the stove, then you turn it on, you put it on high, you add a little bit of your, um, I'm sorry, backtrack. Before you turn on the stove, I recommend to add your oil so that that way you can use your hands when the skillet is cold and you can use your fingers. Remember, it's all hands on. It's your food. As long as you wash your hands, there's nothing wrong with using your hands. Mm -hmm. You can spread the oil evenly on the skillet. Then you turn the heat on to high and you preheat it, like you said, for about 45 seconds to um, to a minute. You bring your salsa that you have blended you grab the the blender and you pour the salsa into the skillet and you let it come to a boil. Um, Once it comes to a quick boil, you add a tiny bit more um, water, let's say four to eight ounces of water, no more than that, and um, about a teaspoon and a half of the chicken bouillon, and you stir it up and let it come to another quick boil, and your sauce is done. What you do then is you open your bag of chips. You crunch them up a little bit to make them a little bit smaller because otherwise they might not fit in your mouth. They're, they're a little big. <laughs> and you put them on a separate skillet. You can grab a um, spoon for serving like for soup. or you can grab a measuring cup, which I really like, and scoop your sauce from your first skillet onto the other one where you have your chips. And you just let those chips soak. As soon as they soak with plenty of sauce and you hear that it's warming up, then it's time to turn off the heat. It really doesn't take more than a minute because then your chips become soggy. And, well, if you prefer them softer, then yes. But the idea is for them to still have a crunch to them. So it doesn't take too long. Um, And that is great with scrambled eggs or... A little bit of shredded chicken, or a little bit of carne asada, and you serve it on the side.
0: Wow, that sounds really, really good. No, and
1: for those, I'm sorry, and for those who really enjoy sour cream or queso fresco, after it's served, you can add a little bit of sour cream or queso fresco, or both, on top of your chilaquiles, and that'll also help in case. You can't tolerate the heat of the jalapeno. It'll also help a little bit with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, queso fresco is cheese?
1: Yes, it's cheese. It's um, a Mexican type of cheese that you crumple up, and it's very tasty. Um, wow. I recommend that you buy the one that says um, made with pasteurized milk.
0: Oh, wow, that sounds really good. And, and you could bake this probably in less than 15 minutes, huh?
1: Uh, I would think so, yes, absolutely.
0: Gosh, that is fantastic. Well, you know, one of the things that I also had promised, I promised that I was going to give a recipe tonight. And so we, we do have a nice Mexican dish that Elsa has recommended. And uh, being that I'm a third-generation Japanese, I'm going to give you a recipe for Japanese. And this is called sukiyaki. Many people have heard of sukiyaki, and this is something that you can make very, very easily. And if you just go to your grocery store, local local grocery store, they have different ingredients. And these are going to be the easiest ways that you could do this because you could do it the easy way by buying some of the things that are bottled. Okay? So the first thing that we usually will do is that we will use a, a skillet. It could be electric or it could be a pan. And the first thing that we'll do is we'll dice up, and we could use uh, the, the super dicer that Elsa was talking about, but dice up an onion. Let that go ahead and start to saute in the pan, and then you could go ahead and chop up a little bit of garlic and let that saute in the pan. The next thing is that as those are sizzling, you then could either decide that if you want beef or if you want chicken and you could go ahead and you could slice, for example, top sirloin steak and you could dice it into smaller chunks and let it go ahead and begin to cook in the skillet. Or if you prefer to do it with chicken, you could have shredded pieces of chicken and let that go ahead and cook along with the onions and the garlic and it really gets sort of a, a really nice flavor. Now, after that has cooked, it will usually take about three to five minutes for that to cook. The next thing is that you could begin to add different types of vegetables. And one of the vegetables that we will put in this is something that's called napa cabbage, N-A-P-A cabbage. And that will come, and you could slice that up, and it's going to fill up the entire pan. It's going to look like, my gosh, this is way too much But as that's in the pan, it will steam, and the cabbage will then become much smaller, and the water from the cabbage is then going to give you a a fluid base. Now, once you have that particular type of fluid base, you then can add what you buy at the store, and it's called sukiyaki sauce. And sukiyaki sauce, it's usually made from kikoman, And that's at the grocery store. You could add that particular sauce to your your liking. But if you want to be more authentic, you could just add soy sauce and a couple of tablespoons of sugar. And you start to stir that up. And that's going to make a nice sort of broth. The next thing that you do is what you could buy at the grocery store is tofu. Now, I know a lot of people can say, oh, my God, that is the worst tasting thing ever. But Mm -hmm. if you buy the soft tofu and you cut it up into cubes that are about one inch by one inch by one inch and you then put it on the bottom of the skillet, it's going to absorb a lot of the flavors and sauce from the sukiyaki sauce and the beef or the chicken. And you go ahead and you let that simmer for a little bit longer. And then if you would like to, Another Japanese uh, food item that you can purchase would be what are called yam noodles. And these are transparent noodles after they cook, and they also absorb this type of broth. And the last thing that you do is you could then go ahead and inside that broth that's simmering in in your pan, you could put a couple of eggs, just crack eggs in there, let them poach, keep it covered. And you'll find that within about two to three minutes, it's it's ready to go. And you could serve that on top of steamed white rice. And it is really a very, very tasty Japanese food that has no raw fish, absolutely none. So it's safe to eat. <laughs> so Sounds that'll be yummy. one that I hope that maybe you could try. And uh, this was one of the things that... When you have guests over, and you could put this on with guests, and they just think, wow, this is so amazing. What are you doing? And they could watch you cook, and they think you're really a great chef. So uh, I'm going to try your recipe, and you try mine then, okay, Elsa?
1: That sounds good. I'm almost there because I had something that just missed the sauce, the eggs, and the noodles. But I had the garlic, <laughs> the chicken, the onion, <laughs> and instead of having it on white rice, I had it with in in a corn tortilla as taco. But it did have the cabbage, the chicken. Oh. <laughs> Onion and the garlic. I had that before I spoke with all of you this evening. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I just need you... to add those couple of ingredients without the tortilla and make it with uh, whole grain brown rice, and there we go.
0: Well, you know, one of the more popular catering trucks out here in Beverly Hills and Hollywood now—it's a catering truck called Kogi, and it's a Korean uh, group of, of chefs, and they have made this Korean beef. And they put it all into a corn tortilla, and it's like sukiyaki tacos, and it is so delicious. It sounds really yummy. You could do it that way. But, Elsa, do you have time? Can I open it to questions, if anybody has questions? Or if any of our listeners want to share one of their recipes, uh, they can do that and share it with you and I?
1: That sounds great. I just wanted to add two more things to the recipe that I mentioned. Uh, It's typically a breakfast, but I actually am one to enjoy it at any time of the day. And yes, you can make your eggs however you prefer, whether it's sunny side up, scrambled, or fried with your chilaquiles. Or you can actually even do refried beans with your chilaquiles if you prefer. That's just me adding the protein and not just having the, the carbs. I like to balance it out. Also, another quick tip is These chilaquiles, if you add a little more fire to them, meaning more jalapeno, or if you want to use habaneros, you can as well, then you have a great remedy in case you have a hangover because a lot of people love to eat spicy and say it helps to eat spicy after waking up with a hangover. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) If it doesn't make it go away, at least you forget because now you're concentrating on the spice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that sounds like really. It sounds like really a good dish. Also, if you're having people over, though, you know, it sounds like a good party dish. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh! Well, all of you out there who's listening tonight, if you have a recipe you'd like to share, if you have questions for Elsa. Uh, please unmute your phone by pressing star 6, and we'll go ahead and, and take these questions. And also, I just want to let you know that this podcast, it will be available on the airs LA website at www.ayersla, and it will also be up at the CCLVI website probably early next week. So, does anybody have a question for Elsa Enriquez?
1: Maybe they went to the kitchen to already get started on their cooking.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Hey, Tom from Vermont, do you have any questions, or, or did you already start this snack for your wife tonight?
2: Did Tom, would, leave, Bill?
0: Oh, there you are. Tom I Lidl. had to unmute
3: my phone there. Sorry about that. <laughs> so know, in the other room I have the fan, fan going on. I guess, uh, how much habanero do you add? My first wife was Puerto Rican. My second wife is Italian, so (laughs) I have all sorts of cuisine. You add a little bit too much of that habanero, especially the the creation. You You don't have a a hangover, but your mouth is burning so much you forget the headache. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's true. You can add one or more. It just depends. Now, I'll show you something that I learned. When you wash your pepper, um, start with one. When you wash your pepper... Um, remove the, the end where the stem is, um, but not just the stem, a little bit of the pepper to then place that inside part of the pepper where the stem is on the tip of your tongue. Rub it a little bit. If it, sting, um, if it stings a little, then that pepper is going to be spicy. So then you can judge whether you want just that pepper or whether you want another one. If it doesn't um, you know, give you any sort of... Um, sensation on the tip of your tongue then you know that pepper is not going to be spicy and you could decide whether you're happy with that pepper or you want to add more but again i recommend you do that to each and every pepper that you cut that way you can tell how many peppers of the ones you're using are going to be spicy but don't do it to all the ones that you bought if you're not going to use them right away because then (laughs) they could go bad
3: that's right
0: well, uh, Tom, good luck tonight, and I sure hope your your wife, the beautiful birthday girl tonight. I hope she enjoys it.
3: <laughs> I, I I hope so. She uh, can't can't say how old she is. Uh, well, I old, married an older woman, and I'm sixty five, so I'll say that. <laughs> hey, well, she will kill me if
0: I say how old, but. <laughs> she 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 sure seems awfully young when we hear her in the background there, so uh I was happy birthday say that. you read she my mind
1: she sounds marks. like it. she's in her fifties yeah, no,
3: no, she is, she is absolutely had a fantastic Italian cook, so what can I say? oh there
1: you go that's awesome
3: <laughs>
0: oh thank you so much. Do you have any recipes uh that does she have a recipe that she would like to share an Italian
3: recipe? Actually, she's on the phone downstairs because the entire family has been calling. Uh, This phone has been beeping, saying everybody's calling in to (laughs) wish her a happy birthday.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, hey, I better let you get back to the party downstairs. So thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. Uh, Tom Lelos, do you have any any questions or do you have any recipes from your old days as a forest ranger?
2: No, Bill, I. Uh, my part in the cooking process is to eat it, see? <laughs>
3: and so I
2: I used to be able to make great scrambled eggs. I called, all, when my kids were growing up, I called it my world-famous scrambled eggs. And really the secret to that is whipping the eggs really, really, really good and putting in just the right amount of milk and uh, the right amount of spices out of the out of my wife's spice cabinet, and I'd, you know, put some celery in it and anything that would come to mind to kind of make it dance a little bit. And it hey, always
0: worked. That yeah. sounds awfully good. What was the special spice <laughs> in your wife's cabinet there that you really liked the best? Was there anything that you found was really, really good?
2: <laughs> well, I, I kind of had to cheat because the, the one I grabbed most of the time when I used to be able to see good enough was just allspice, you know?
0: Oh, really? That,
2: and that's, got, and that's got lots of stuff in it. So it kind of spiced up the scrambled eggs. But I, but I have a question. It's more of a mechanical issue more than a recipe thing. When you're cooking on a stovetop, that's a smooth stovetop versus the old kind that had burners, you know. How, how can you tell you, when you've got your pan centered over each of the hot spots on the stove?
1: Oh, I dealt with that for a few months. I had a roommate that had a stove like that, and I was just like, oh, my God, here we go. (laughs) A new adventure. Uh, I am not a fan of them. I don't recommend them, but if someone likes them, then by all means, you know. Um, What I had to do was um, grab the skillet on one hand, turn the stove on with the other hand. It was a gas stove. Uh, No, I'm sorry, I correct myself. It was an electric stove, which, again, I'm not a big fan of because it's much more difficult to um, change the temperature quickly. And um, so what I would do is turn on the stove and then just wait for it to heat up. I would not touch the glass directly because it was actually glass. Um, I would just put my hand about 8 to 12 inches above the actual glass and feel for that heat, make sure that I felt the heat towards the center of my palm, and then right below my palm, I would place the skillet or pot and bring it down gently, and that gave me a pretty good um, range to place the um, pot or skillet right above that burner.
2: Now, Elsa, when you've got your skillet on that spot, do you ever take your hand off The
1: handle. Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, That's another good one. The handle should always be to the side. Never, ever um, towards the outside of the stove because you can bump into it with your hand or your stomach or chest, depending on your height. (laughs) And I'm kind (laughs) of petite. (laughs) So it should always be to the side. Now, when I am stirring, I do love to have my hand on the handle to sturdy the, um, to to keep the pot or skillet sturdy and make sure that it's not moving around where it will not be on the burner evenly and it might tilt and spill and burn me or it might not cook as well. So yes, when I'm stirring or moving something within the skillet or the pan, I do like to hold the handle, but I am not holding it all the time.
2: Do you put raised dots on your control knobs?
1: That is another good tip for the um, stove. I do recommend that, but I myself don't. I pretty much have a good um, idea as to where high, medium, and low are, and then just go from there. Usually my high is around 3 o'clock, my medium is around 12 o'clock, and my low is around 9 o'clock. So if I want low to simmer, then I'm anywhere between 9 and, uh, nine and you know, low to medium, it's between 9 and 12, medium to high, 12 and 3, and then high, 3. So that's usually how I go about it.
2: Okay. All right. Now, do you ever use a microwave uh, much?
1: I do. I do to warm up food, but not for cooking. And sometimes I still warm up food on a skillet on the stove. Um, More than anything, it's just to warm up something quickly uh, or warm up some water quickly for uh, a cup of tea or instant coffee that someone might prefer versus the coffee from the coffee pot.
2: Okay, the reason I bring that up is our microwave is smooth. You know, like a touch screen thing. Uh-huh. You can't you can't feel the buttons, and mm-hmm. so we put raised dots on some of the uh, numbers, and so that I can I can do some things with the microwave. And my specialty there is popcorn, and I know which buttons to push to make popcorn. You know, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yes,
1: I do the same. All whole with idea you know. is
2: raised dots to help you na- navigate. You know.
1: Yes, yes, that was something that we were mentioning earlier, and I I believe a lot in raised dots, and I believe a lot in Braille. So whatever um, each person feels more comfortable with, um, I think that they should go with that. If they have some site, it's totally valid to use stickers or raised dots that have different shapes, textures, um, colors, or sizes to guide you, or if there is no site, and you feel more comfortable with Braille, then it's totally fine to use the Dymo tape, the Braille Dymo tape, and you use your um, Perkins Brailler, you type on it, then you cut the tape, and you place it on each little button with the assistance of someone who's sighted so that they can make sure that you place it on the correct button.
2: I did not know they had Braille Dymo tape. That's cool.
1: Well, it's called Dymo tape, but then you, yourself, Place it on a uh, metal insert that goes into the Perkins Brailer,
0: and you type the braille yourself ah okay okay and uh, t- Tom, I just want to say, Tom, it sounds like you have just remodeled a whole brand new kitchen with the top of the line equipment there
2: <sighs> well we we've, we've got new we've got new appliances in the kitchen, yeah, and, and but I, I i I must say I like our old appliances because They weren't. They weren't touch screen. You know, they weren't all smooth.
0: (laughs) You know what? That's the same thing that I said after my wife. She she decided that we are going to get some new appliances. And as soon as we got these new appliances, I couldn't use any of them until we got all these labels there. But. But anyways, Elsa, I want to thank you. This has been really one of the most informative podcasts that we have. And a lot of this type of information regarding cooking and performing daily activities, this is inside the book, Insights into Low Vision, that is produced by CCLVI. So if any of you are interested in the book, Insights into Low Vision, it is now available if you simply go to Amazon.com. Or you could go to CCLVI's webpage and you'll see the link where it says Insights into Low Vision and it will take you to Amazon.com where you could get the book for 19.95. But if you want to join CCLVI as a new member, you then receive the book for free and you also receive all the other benefits. So that's another option that you could share with others. So, Elsa, again, I I really want to thank you. This has been really excellent.
1: Thank you. And I just would like to add two more quick um, tips for safety. Uh, Microwave, please stay away from putting utensils in the microwave and also make sure that if you decide to use plastic, I choose not to, that it is microwave safe. Um, But I prefer to stay away from using plastic in the microwave. And the other suggestion I have for those who might still have some vision and can benefit from contrast, it's good to consider buying a stove that has a lighter stovetop color versus dark because most skillets are dark. And when you want to place your skillet on a burner, you lose the skillet with a dark stove. And trust me, I learned that because we went and got nice uh, appliances but that's exactly what happened. They're dark, and I lose the skillet, but fortunately enough, I have the um, experience and the comfort level where I can still do my cooking. But I do recommend for someone who appreciates contrast that they consider that when shopping for appliances.
0: Well, those are some great, great ideas. And Elsa, if anybody has questions, maybe they're thinking about purchasing some new equipment or anything Is there an email address or anything that they might be able to contact you?
1: You know, I would love to give out my information right now, but unfortunately I cannot. Um, The only reason is I have not received good service and just canceled the um, internet and phone service. I'm looking for a new provider, so I would not be able to get back to anyone, Um, but if in the future I have the opportunity to collaborate once again with you and all that is said I'd be happy to provide my information then
0: okay that's that sounds great so I'll tell everybody if you all have questions you could go ahead and email me at dr. bill foundation that's Foundation at gmail.com and then I'll get in touch with Elsa one way or the other okay so that again. Great. We want to thank everybody for being on the program this evening. And if you have any other recommendations on topics or other people that we should interview, or if you'd like to be interviewed, please let me know. And last but definitely not least, I'd like to thank Mr. Dick Burden and Ayers Alley for recording this tonight. So thank you very much. And so we hope to see all of you next month when we bring you more
2: information on low vision. Good night, everybody.